Amen. I've not always been the best person at making friends. I don't know. There's some people in this world who are really good at it. Some people who you describe that that person never met a stranger. Um, they have this amazing ability to walk up and connect and bond. Um, that is, I've most. I feel like for me, it's like I've only met strangers. <laughs> and, um, thankfully, like being in ministry puts me in situations where I I get to meet a lot of other people and other in times where I wouldn't. I get to enter into relationships, into inter conversations, but I wouldn't because I don't enter them as Wilson Pruitt. I enter them as a pastor. Um, but it's but it's still there's 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 a t- there's a um, contrast there for many of us between people who make lots of friends and have lots of friends and have lots of wide networks and, and others. Children are great at making friends. Um, you know, a kid, any, give, give or take any seven-year-old walks up to a playground and they see another kid and they, hey, you want to play with me? And they play for an hour or six hours. It doesn't really matter. Um, and they don't really care what their name is or where they're from or any of those kind of things. It's like, oh, you're someone who can play. Let's play. What do you want to play? Oh, we're playing this. Awesome. Um, and they go on, and the kids were smaller, like chase after them around in a circle. Uh, and it, they, we had a soccer game this past week. Hey, speaking of the kids that are younger. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, it's so strenuous for parents to organize the time when kids are so organically able to find play, even in the middle of worship, they find a way to play. <laughs> That's right, I think. Right, so. <coughs> Today of social media, where people are connected all over the world, that we can talk to Alina's cousins in Romania, but there's also this sense of disconnection really close. We are very disconnected next neighbor to neighbor in many ways. Um, the times you bring up a random conversation, you know, a child again can go to a playground and talk to anybody they see and they feel free and comfortable and to play. But if you walk up to someone on the street and say, hey, what's going on to a stranger? They might just like walk away, or it's just kind of creepy. Um, there, are, there are places where conversation erupts. You know, if you're at the grocery store, like last week after church, I went to Sprouts, and there was only one checkout, and so the line went out. There was like 15 people in line, and so you kind of build up a conversation rapport with people who are talking about, like, why don't they get more checkers in the line? <laughs> uh, I really like going hiking because I feel more open to talking to people in that kind of way, in this space, when we're like, oh, you're hiking? I'm hiking too. We have this connection. And that connection is important, and we'll get back to it, that common ground, because you can't have friendship without common ground. But in our world today, it is so hard to see the common ground we have. It's hard to find that. 
My friends, we're continuing our series on the Apostle Paul, on this much, very confusing figure in the early church, who very prolific, wrote most of the New Testament. Last week we talked about Paul as a convert, how he was a persecutor of the church, how he was, I mean, he participated in stonings, he participated in, in traumas, in, in the, the breakup of many early churches. And yet, God struck his life, turned his life around, and he became the apostle. He became the planter of churches. He went and he, and he sent good news. He was a messenger. But he was also a friend. We don't often think about Paul as a friend. We don't often think about saints as friends. Friendship is a very grounded thing. Friends are the people who keep you grounded. Friends are the ones who know you from, from back when. Friends are the ones who can speak truthfully to you. Saints seemingly rise above. You don't think about Paul as a friend. You don't think about Francis of Assisi as a friend. You don't think about other figures as, as friends of these. And yet... This strange ending to the letter of Romans that Karen so nobly read. <laughs> there should be a slide for us that has all the names. Is it in there? All right, we'll, we'll come back to that one. This is the next one. There we go. Okay, these are all the names that Karen read. And so you can see him and try to give your, your attempt. Um, it's a lot. So this is the end of, of the letter to the Romans. The Romans is a very long letter. It's very, very complex. A lot of Paul's language throughout most of his letters, is really clear and, and beautiful and to the point and almost universalizable. And by that, I mean people take it, they read a letter, line of Paul, and they take it to apply to all the world and God's love in many ways. And then you get this passage from, from Romans where he's over and over again says, I send my greetings to, to Phoebe, to Prissa, to Epinetus, to Mary, to Andronicus, to all these people. It's very particular. It's very grounded. It's in a specific time and place. What's interesting about these two is there are a lot of women named. Over and over again, this, Paul wrote this at the end of his life. He names a lot of women. And the church throughout history has kind of tried to hide in some ways how many women Paul names um, in different versions of the scripture, especially Junia. So Andronicus and Junia, prominent among the apostles. And about, so up until about the ninth century, it was Junia. That's what the earliest manuscripts have. And then about the ninth century, it started being Andronicus and Junius, prominent among the apostles. Yeah. Yeah. One of those, one of those interesting tweaks that were going on. But Paul, that, that's how often the church has done in the past and Christians as well has done in the past of taking what has been offered by God and twisting it to make it seem what we want it to say. And even changing the letter of the text because it couldn't make sense for us that Junia would be prominent among the apostles. It's a powerful thing. People don't think about Paul as a friend. Many people have troubling, some, to some Paul has troubling things to say throughout his letters. Troubling things to say about women, saying about keeping, keeping your head covered, about Ephesians 5.22, about wives submit to your husbands. And yet, look at all the people in his life that he cared about. And not just cared about, promoted. Say, you are prominent among the apostles. How are we to, to hold this all together? It's not, as, it's not as straightforward as it can be, but it is powerful. 
to see that this is Scripture too. That all of these names and these lives are Scripture too. And it was included in that. And like all of the texts of the Bible, it could easily have been cut out. If the, you know, we had a lot of, one of the miraculous things of the Bible is so, oftentimes the things that make, um, that if we were the editor, we would have trimmed. Like if I was the editor of the Bible, I would have trimmed some stuff going through. Um, and there's some things said about Jesus that like make no sense unless it was true, unless it was accurate. There's a few times where it's like, and, and they sat down to eat some fish. Um, it's like, okay, they sat down to eat some fish. That's an odd anecdote. That doesn't connect to whatever greater message is going on. But the point is not the greater message, but that God indwelling with us. And indwelling with us means eating some fish from time to time. <laughs> or being an apostle means knowing a lot of people. Paul probably wrote this at the end of his life. And so around 63 AD, he's been in prison for a few years. He may not have met any of these people for a long, long time, maybe 15, 20 years. A lot of Paul's letters were circulating letters. So he would write a letter and they would pass it out of prison. It would pass it to one person and they would pass it around and pass it around and pass it around. Um, If you want to keep on passing. Thank you. (laughs) Participating in my metaphor. But that, that power of that, so it wasn't, this wasn't just like, these are the closest people, these aren't the people in Rome that he's greeting. These are people all over the Mediterranean world that matter to him, that he is lifting up, not just to them. It's not just a thank you note that only that person will see. It's thinking, it's lifting them up among each of the churches. That not only am I greeting you and thanking you, but I am honoring you so that you will be lifted up for the church over here and the church over here. And when they have an issue after I die... They will come looking for you. There is power in that and how they have this connection. And we can see that connection and what, what bonds them together with the other odd reading from Luke 6 that Karen wonderfully read for us with fewer Greek names in it. But in this, what is referred to as the Sermon on the Plain. It's very similar to the Sermon on the Mount, but there's a few um, differences. In the, in the Luke text, it says, Blessed are you who are poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. In the Matthew text, blessed are the poor in spirit. In the Luke text, blessed are you who are hungry now. Where in the Matthew, blessed you who are hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then Luke adds something that's not found in the Matthew text. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when people speak well of you. For that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. Now, my friends, one way that I want us to read this, this strange and hard text is to think of each of these, especially the woes, are, as ways that people have grounded their friendships and their relationships in the past. Thomas Aquinas, St. Thomas Aquinas, where are you, Kate? There you go. St. Thomas Aquinas said, um, defined friendship as a mutual, benevolent, benevolent love on common ground. A mutual, benevolent love on common ground. You have to have a common ground to have a friendship. This is the same thing like with a child going to the playground. They have the common ground of the playground and being a kid, and they want to play. With different, you know, you have relationships with work, relationships with church, relationships with your family. You have that common ground. What I think Jesus is pointing to in a lot of ways is these things, which many people see as common grounds, are not. 
Woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who think your life is based on your wealth. Woe to you who are hungry. Woe to you who think your life is based... I mean, woe to you who are full. Woe to you who think your life is based on your comfort. Woe to you who are laughing now. Woe to you who think your life is based on your amusement. That is not a common ground that you can land your life. Instead, there is something deeper and more powerful. Because when we base our life on, on wealth or on comfort or on amusement, we begin to isolate ourselves from people who are not wealthy, who are not comfortable, who are not amusing. And that, that happens in our society, too. That happened for Paul in his early life. He isolated himself from people who disagreed with him. He, not only he isolated them, he persecuted them. He closed off his heart and he pushed them away. But, but Jesus does here, powerfully, is, is point to what can be described as sacrificial love. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. What is promoted here is a love that cannot be reciprocated. Because when you love your enemy, when you love those who persecute you, you are not going to get love in return. It's not going to be a transaction that so often relationships are assumed to be. And it can only come out of grace. It can only come out of a miraculous grace. Last week, remember, we talked about Paul as a convert and how there were two miracles going on in his conversion. The first miracle was that he, his heart changed. His heart changed and he saw the wrongs of his ways. But the second miracle was that the church accepted him. They knew he had been a persecutor. They knew his history. And they said, we love you. We forgive you. People who had been harmed by him accepted him. And that was not just because they were good people, but because God was with them. Love of our enemies, love of those who persecute us is not based on like moral rectitude, but the presence of the Holy Spirit. On our own, none of us are that good <laughs> to be able to love our enemies, to be able to forgive any wrong, to be able to do the things that God calls us to do. Instead, we are in need of the power of God. And in that, we have freedom. Paul knows all these people. And Paul is friends with all these people because their common ground is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that goes against class, goes against gender, goes against ethnicity. The ancient world was stratified. There were the citizens and the non-citizens. There were the Greeks and the non-Greeks. There were men and women. There were slaves and free it was a stratified society and you rarely were able to move. Wherever you were born, that was probably where you were going to die. And you had no reason, you had no benefit of, of befriending someone outside of your caste, outside of your area. And yet we see something radical going on in Paul's friendship. We see something radical that he articulates well in Galatians chapter 3. When Paul says, 
All of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. Nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, if you belong to Christ, then indeed you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. My friends, that is the grounding of the friendship of Paul, and that is a grounding of friendship that we ourselves can see. And it is offered to us, and there's freedom in that. There's freedom in what Christ offers to us. The freedom as well is found at the, earlier in the chap- book of Romans, in Romans 8, when Paul writes, Do I have it in here? There we go. When Paul writes in that famous passage, but in all these things, we are victorious through the one who loved us. I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not death or life, nor angels or rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything that is created. That is sacrificial love offered for us that is freeing, that we are not going to be separated from God, so we don't need to be worried about the things we do separating us. Many relationships are filled with that anxiety of like, what if I do something wrong and they don't like me anymore? And then God tells us, you are loved. Nothing you can do can separate you from me. This is the, the constant effective desire to do the good in in another. That's what is offered to us. That sacrificial love. Christ's love offers us the freedom to be friends of even our enemies. Which is a crazy thing to say. It should be a crazy thing to say. And many of us don't, you know, we're not in battle right now. Some of you have been in the military. Some of you are currently in the military. But we are not in, in this room. You are not in battle right now. There are not enemies out to get you in a way, in a world, but there are people who are against you, or you feel that way. There are people who you don't like, people who you want to avoid, people who you'd rather not see again, people who, when they show up at a party, you you decide to leave, people who you want to sit on the other side of the room. We must be honest in that way. And what God shows us is that we are free. We are free to love our enemy because our friendship and our life is not based on our wealth or our comfort or our amusement, but on the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we can offer sacrificial love because the same grace that was in Paul is with us. I left all the candles up from All Saints Day last week to remember that the center of our light as a church are the people who have come before us. And the same grace that was with them is with us. And we need to be open to accepting that. And that is grounded in our relationships with others. And we can receive that grace freely. Jesus offers you friendship. Jesus doesn't offer you just like a get-out-of-jail-free card or a, a lifeboat out of hell. Jesus offers you friendship. That you are a friend of God. That you are a beloved of God. That he offers sacrificial love for you. He has shown that on the cross. But friendship is about a mutuality. And so God asks us to respond and reciprocate. And we reciprocate 
By being a friend of Jesus. How do we be a friend of Jesus, you may ask? (laughs) By worshiping is one way, by living the life of the church. But the most concrete way that we see friendship of Jesus is in the powerful parable from Matthew 25. When it says, Now when the Son of Man comes in his majesty and all his angels are with him, he will sit on his majestic throne, and all the nations will be gathered in front of him, and he will separate them from each other, just as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right side, but the goats will be put on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who will receive good things from the Father. Inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you from before the earth began. I was hungry, and you gave me food to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothes to wear. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then those who are righteous will reply to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you as a stranger and welcome you? When did we see you sick or in prison? Then the king will reply, I assure you that when you have done it for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you have done it for me. I love reading that again and again. It's a passage that I've heard often, but is still hard and still powerful. My friends, we are in a transition period in our, our long-term work corner ministry at Berkeley United Methodist Church. Um, this, this Tuesday, there's going to be a meeting um, at 7 p.m. And honestly, everybody is invited if you are able to be there. Uh, we're going to have a conversation with the pastor at Sunrise Community Church and about some of the ministries that they have been doing. Um, and they have been connecting with Oak Hill Methodist and some other places of some holistic care for our brothers and sisters on the street, who live on the streets. Um, and how we can build relationships and how we can respond to the need that is there, that there is a a newer need in South Austin than there was in 1986 or whenever the work corner started. Um, That that ministry, we started that ministry at a time when there wasn't a lot of resources downtown, and now there are a lot of resources and there are a lot of people and neighbors in our midst who are are hungry, who are in need of shelter. We've, We've done these ministries, we've started these ministries with Crockett, um, and we're going to continue to that. Have we got sign-up sheets for everybody? Has everybody signed up for that? Awesome. And so your churches, are, you have responded and filled in that, and we're continuing to respond to the needs at Crockett and at Cunningham. But um, we're in an exploratory period of trying to figure out what is the best way that we can continue to serve our neighbor. And what I think is so powerful about Matthew 25 and about how this all connects is it's not that we are, we're not supposed to passively wait for Jesus to come to us, but to go to him. And yet we're not called to do that alone. It is hard to do that alone, but to be the body of Christ. You have been called from many places around the world to be in this room today to worship our Lord. You are called to be the body of Christ. And God offers friendship to you. And so together, Together, may it be at the work corner, may it be at other ministries, may it be after you go to lunch today. Think of ways of seeking the face of Jesus in another. Think of ways of not being satisfied in riches or in comfort or in amusement, but satisfied on the common ground of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That grace is offered to you. That freedom is offered to you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.